Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm Kevin, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, and really glad that you're here. Um, in case you're, you're curious, uh, passages come this morning from what's called the, the lectionary. It's a tool that uh, many churches use, including the Anglican Church, to be able to walk through uh, the different parts of Scripture through the course of the year. Um, I I was able this week to see in a a strange way the gift that this tool, the lectionary, can be. So, um, like I said, many churches use this tool to discern which passages to use on Sundays. And this past week, um, there's a pastor in the broader Anglican church that we're a part of. His name was Thomas McKenzie. He was 50 years old. And on Monday, he started a sabbatical. And he started out by taking his daughter with him to college. And he's a pastor in Nashville. And just as they were leaving Nashville, they um, collided with a tractor trailer. And both he and his daughter were killed in the accident. Um, Mackenzie was an influential pastor. I had the chance to visit their church several years ago. And it was a wonderful church and known as a generous and kind pastor and also um, provided lots of resources for people in how to walk with Christ, especially within the tradition of Anglicanism. So he wrote a book uh, called The Anglican Way that I would recommend to you if you're wanting to learn more about our tradition. Um, But this, just on Friday, I wanted to go back because I knew that he probably would have been in the same passage that our church was in last Sunday. And so I went back, and their, their services are online, and so I was able to watch their service and listen to his last sermon to his church, which was on the very passage that our church was in last Sunday. And it was surreal. Um, because he was going on sabbatical, he was sharing with them that he'd been reflecting on what he wanted to say to them because he knew he wouldn't see them for a while. And he shared with them that difficult times are going to come where you're not going to understand what God is doing. It was this passage where many people are saying that, Jesus, your words are difficult to hear. But Peter says, to whom else shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And he was challenging his church. There are times when all you can say to God is, to whom else will I go? I don't understand, but who, you, you alone have the words of eternal life. So, it was powerful to be able to go back and to listen to that and know that we were connected with this church through the things that we were listening to from the words of God. So, this is where our scriptures come from this morning as well. Um, And it's a difficult transition to make, but I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever been a hypocrite? It's an easy, lighthearted one, isn't it? Where what you say and what you do haven't matched up completely. Where you haven't treated someone or thought of someone in a way that you'd like to think is true of who you are. Deep down. Who you want to be. Maybe you haven't lived completely by your principles and what you say you believe. You know, another way to ask this question is, who has a pulse here today? (laughs) Whether you're a Christian or not, this has happened to you. You've been a hypocrite. 
And if you deny ever having been a hypocrite, then that makes you self-righteous and that makes you a hypocrite. So one way or another, we've all been there. How does the process happen of becoming a hypocrite? No one starts out the day saying, that, this is my goal. I want to be a hypocrite today. <laughs> now, you probably noticed as Travis was reading that Jesus has some pretty strong words in the gospel passage in Mark chapter 7. At the heart of what he says, he's speaking to these groups of people known as Pharisees and scribes. I'll talk more about them in a minute. But at the heart of what he says is an accusation. And it's a really sad one if you spend much time with it. Listen to what he says. He, he quotes an Old Testament passage from the, book of, from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the idea of hypocrisy. That's the definition, isn't it? You say things, but you don't really mean them. You live a double life. The inside and the outside of you don't match. For the groups that Jesus is speaking to, the Pharisees and scribes, on the outside they claim to be devoted to God and to his kingdom. But on the inside they're corrupt. Now here's the issue that's created this situation of hypocrisy. So Jesus goes a step further with his accusation. And actually this is the real, the crux of the accusation. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus repeats this a couple of times, and he gets more harsh each time. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. And later it is, you make void the word of God by your tradition. In other words, your own tradition actually suffocates the word of God. Do you think that we're still vulnerable to this today? Could it be possible that our own worship could be in vain? And if so, is that just something that happens for really religious people? Or could it actually happen for people who don't even believe in such a thing as the word or commandments of God? Can living by human traditions turn anyone into a hypocrite? Today, people tend to think of the word of God in this really narrow and strictly religious way, as if it's only for a specific area of life. So our religious life, for instance. But that is not how the word of God is understood in the Bible or by the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were the first ones to receive God's word. Christians would say that it was revelation to them, given to them by God, not something that they just made up for themselves. Israel saw the word of God as this all-encompassing revelation for how to live out your life as a human being in the world. They believed that God's word gave them a vision for all of life. And this vision for life was clearly different than the vision for life that all the nations had around them. 
When they carried out this vision for life that God gave them, they would draw the curiosity of the nations, God told them. And we just heard this from the book of Deuteronomy. God says, keep my statutes and rules and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now today, again, a lot of people hear the idea of the word of God and they think of something that's old, dusty. It's outdated. It doesn't square with what we've learned in the modern world. But this is completely different in a way from other times in history where the word of God has actually been revolutionary for the way that people saw the world. Now, this doesn't mean that it was welcomed by everyone. I'm not saying that. But it was still a new, fresh way of seeing others, of seeing God in the world. So we could talk about places where the Old Testament may seem harsh to our ears in our world today. But there were no other people who had laws like Israel to protect vulnerable people. To say that you had to care for the poor. To give dignity to children, to women, or slaves. There were no laws like this in the nations that surrounded them. So if Israel actually embodied this vision for life that God gave them in his word, it would be a revolutionary kind of life. And this was even more the case for early Christians. So there's this letter that's been preserved from a Roman soldier in the same period that Christians are beginning to uh, form the church. This, this letter has been preserved from this Roman soldier to his wife, and it says, If you bear a child and it is male, let it be. If it is female, cast it out. Aristotle, the Greek ethicist, had proposed a law that no deformed child shall live. And it was actually a Roman emperor who became Christian that outlawed the killing of infants for the first time. Protections for babies would mean greater protections for women as well. So the word of God and its vision for life, when it has been embodied, of course imperfectly, but when it has been embodied, it has always been a force for life, for the well-being of the world and humanity and the creation itself. Now we're going to come back to this. So having said these things about the word of God, how it is a vision for life and flourishing, it should be a little surprising that the people Jesus describes as hypocrites are people who are the most zealous for, the, for God's word in his day. The Pharisees and scribes, are, they're bad guys in the gospels, but they did really mean well. They did. To be fair to them, they meant well. Both of them saw themselves as stewards of the word of God. They believed their job was to protect God's word. And here, they've witnessed Jesus' disciples eating without washing their hands. Now, so we're on the same page. In the Old Testament, there was this law that priests who served at the temple were to wash their hands before doing their work. Outside of this, the only time anyone was told to wash their hands was if they touched a bodily discharge of some kind. I think everybody's okay with that, right? Wash your hands when you touch a bodily discharge. Everybody good with that rule, right? That was the only other time that everyone was told to wash their hands. Now, the Pharisees had extended the hand-washing rule to everyone. And actually, 
To be fair, their reasoning was good. We want everyone to feel like they're a priest, like everyone serves God at his temple. So let's have everyone wash their hands. That's, that's not a bad motive, is it? But they doubled down on the enforcement of the rule. And this is where they show us how any of us can become hypocrites. They want to do good. They want to protect this life-giving vision of the word of God. How to be a person in the world. But they add measures to protect and control it. Watch what happens. So the beginning of our passage in the Gospel of Mark says that they and the scribes have gathered to Jesus. That's what it says in our English Bibles. But when it says they've gathered to them, it literally says that they gathered against him like a mob. It's the same word used in the Psalms to say that the rulers of the earth gather together against the Lord and against his anointed. And it's also used to describe wicked people who gather together conspiring to take the life of a righteous person. Think about what's happened to the Pharisees and the scribes without them even realizing it's happened. They love God's word, but in loving it, they actually set it aside. And it gives a whole new meaning to the saying that love is blind, that it blinds you. They become conspirators against Jesus, and they turn themselves into hypocrites. People who say they love God and love the things that God loves, but in reality, deep in their being, they do not love God. They love their idea of God. Their heart is actually very far from him. And so this should provoke us, especially if we claim to be Christian, claim to follow Jesus, to at least ask ourselves the question, do we love God? Like who he says he is? Do we believe in him? Is our heart close to him? Not merely our words? What kind of fruit do we see from our faith in God? Is it drawing us to love him and to love others in deeper and more profound ways? Now, there are lots of reasons that people set aside the word of God. Some people do it intentionally. You might say, I just don't believe in God or believe that his word has been revealed to us. Others, like the Pharisees, it's, more, it's less intentional. They didn't mean to set aside the word of God, but they did. Here's the thing, though, the common denominator. In either case, whether we set aside the word of God intentionally or unintentionally, there is some thought within us, maybe it's very small, but it's still there, the thought that we can actually improve upon the word of God that we can improve upon it. Yeah, it got us off on a good start, but we can do better. That's what the Pharisees thought they were doing, isn't it? Thanks, God, for giving us that hand-washing rule. We've got another idea. <laughs> Let's give it to everyone. And without even realizing it, they have added to the Word of God. Now, this attempt to improve on God's word, it happens with Christians and non-Christians. And what I want to say, and what I think Jesus is saying, is that in both cases, whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, if you set aside the word of God, 
you will make yourself into a hypocrite. You will. So Christians can make themselves hypocrites by taking God's word further in some places than it actually goes, like the Pharisees do, elevating traditions we like, but not going far enough in other things that God calls us to do. So here's an example. I'm late to reading some of the classics that many of you have read. Uh, Right now I'm reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Some of you are going to say, how have you not read that already? And you're going to be stuck on that for the rest of this morning. So most of you know it, it takes place in this small, mostly Christian community in Alabama. Very southern community. Maycomb. And there's a lady in the community who is very committed to her faith, radically committed to her faith. And her church believes, we're told, that anything that can be enjoyed is sinful. (laughs) So she walks by the house of another lady in town, and this lady happens to enjoy gardening. She has beautiful flowers all around, and she walks by and she tells her, you and your flowers both are going to hell. That's an example of going further than the Bible goes, isn't it? But at the same time, this community that's predominantly Christian is in an uproar that Atticus Finch is defending a black man who's accused of a crime against a white family. You see what Harper Lee has done in this, in this brilliant way, is she's drawn out the hypocrisy of a kind of Christian faith where people went too far on some things, but not far enough in others. And in doing this, they've actually set aside the word of God, and they've completely distorted it. This is what Christians can do. This is what Christians have done. We need to be honest with ourselves, where we have ridden our traditions too far, We need to confess our sins to God. Are there places where you are not fully living into the word of God, where he has called you to follow him? Are there sins that you're living in and that you're justifying? Because in many other ways, you're living a great life. People may not even know those things. But those things are distorting you. They are warping you. And if we do not fully embody the word of God, it will hurt our souls. Our hearts will draw further and further from God, the one that we claim to love. Christians, it can be very easy in the midst of the culture wars we're living in for us to get caught up in the heat of the debates that are happening and set aside the fullness of God's word. We need to forget about the debates And attend to the word that God's given us. And let that fully shape our lives. The debate should not shape us. The word of God should be what shapes us. But I said just a minute ago. That Christians and non-Christians alike. Can become hypocrites. By setting aside the word of God. So I, I described earlier what happened in the early period of Christianity where the Roman world was brutal towards many people. There were no ethics regarding women and children and slaves. And it was the church that brought in women. This is why for centuries the church has been predominantly women, because the culture at large did not value and protect them 
the way that the church did. Here's what's happened in our culture today. The culture has said, thanks Christianity for those values that you gave us. We're good now. We don't need you anymore. And the culture has determined that it can begin to set up its own systems of justice apart from the very foundation that told them what human dignity means. You see, there's no basis for people, for humanity, having equality between one another without believing that humans are made in the image of God. So if you choose to completely set aside that foundation, your justice from that point forward is going to be skewed. It's going to be twisted. You are going to become radicalized in all kinds of other ways. And the world is going to tell you what that looks like. Now, why is it? Why is it that we are not able to improve on God's word? I mean, there is a question here. This book, at its most recent, is 1900 years old. Why can't we improve on it? And Jesus speaks to the root problem in any of our efforts to improve on it. This is what turns all of us into hypocrites. He uses a key word throughout this passage, and the word is anthropos, human being. It's the same word that's used to describe Adam in the very beginning in Genesis. And Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of anthropos, man. And then he says, from within, out of the heart of Anthropos, human beings come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they are what defile an Anthropos, a human being. Jesus is telling us that any of our attempted improvements or upgrades to the Word of God, no matter how laudable their intentions may be, end up suffocating God's revelation because of a basic warp in us to the extent that we, as people, as anthropos, human beings, we corrupt everything we touch. And this is what happens when we try to improve upon the Word of God. We warp it. We warp the very foundations of it. And in that process, we warp ourselves. So what do we do? Does Jesus leave us here with nothing but our humanness and our hypocrisy? Of course not. Jesus instead is the fullness of the word of God. Now there's this wonderful thing in our passage where it says the Pharisees and the scribes came down from Jerusalem to gather against Jesus. And it's a contrast because what happens when Jesus makes the opposite journey? They go from Jerusalem to gather against Jesus. Jesus goes to Jerusalem not to attack them, but to lay down his life for them. To give himself as the word of God, as a sacrifice for our sinfulness, our humanity, for being anthropos, complete people who repeatedly turn against God. So the point of all of this, of our humanity, is not Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to deliver us and to bring us into new life 
to make us and restore us into his image bearers as people who represent the ways of God. And so when we embody the word of God in the world today, it is old, but it is revelation that has come down from God to make us and restore us to be his image bearers again. And when we walk in his mercy, when we live into his death and his resurrection on our behalf, we are made new and we are able to live as image bearers of the God who created us and loved us. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.